Well, good evening. Tonight we are going to be looking at section 5 in the Baptist Faith and Message, which is entitled God's Purpose of Grace. There's some particular challenges in doing sermon series on this. I know that we've already mentioned this a few times, but we're seeking to take a statement that was put together by, by men who studied God's word and who counseled together and over a period of time uh, put these statements of faith together. Now, this, this particular statement of faith that we're looking at tonight is supported by over 50 individual scriptures, right? So in order for us to really get a full, uh, full understanding and, and a full picture of, of what is being conveyed by these statements of faith, it would take us a, a good period of time for us to go through all 50 scriptures. And I'm so glad that you've all agreed to allow me to do that tonight. As we, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, as we, as we do though, look at this tonight. We will be looking at a few scriptures. Some of them I will, uh, I will have you turn to. Uh, if you want to mark one to hold it, Ephesians uh, one, verses three through fourteen is going to be our primary anchor text, and then we will be kind of moving back and forth uh, as we, um, as as we look through the scriptures uh, that support this this statement of our faith. I do want to state up front that there is a great deal of discussion and debate over this particular section, and that debate primarily surrounds the doctrine of election and the free agency of man. And in our, our, our time here tonight, uh, we're not going to do an exhaustive uh, discussion on that, but I do believe it's important for us to, to take a look at what Scripture says and to see that both of those things are amazing, both of those things are true, and both of those things are conveyed in Scripture. That we have election by God, and man is responsible for his choices. And there is an additional statement that, uh, that we will discuss, one of the security uh, of saints, or those who are believers in Christ. So as we look at these scriptures, we, we, we will basically, uh, well, I'm going to read through the, uh, the statement of, of faith here uh, from Article uh, 5 on God's purpose of grace, and then, um, and then we'll be, we will begin discussing it. So uh, I will read the Baptist Faith and Message uh, 2000 now, Article 5 on God's purpose and grace. Election is the gracious purpose of God, according to which he regenerates justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies sinners. It is consistent with the free agency of man and comprehends all the means in connection with the end. It is the glorious display of God's sovereign goodness and is infinitely wise, holy, and unchangeable. It excludes boasting and promotes humility. All true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall persevere to the end. Believers may fall into sin through neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the spirit, impair their graces and comforts, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgments on themselves. Yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Now, if you have your copy of uh, the Baptist Faith and Message, or if you're, if you're looking at that, there's, there's three sentences that I want you to, or, or statements that I'd that I like you to, to maybe underline that I think 
uh, I'm going to touch on as my, my points for tonight and I think help summarize this statement. Uh, obviously, uh, summarizing, we don't want to leave anything out, but there are three key things that I want you to, to, to look at. First is that election is the gracious purpose of God. Secondly, it is consistent with the free agency of man and that all true believers endure to the end. So if we were to boil this down into a run-on sentence, we could say election is the great, gracious purpose of God. It is consistent with the free agency of man and all true believers endure to the end. So as we begin looking at this statement, we will see that there's the word election. And I think in order for us to, to rightly understand, uh, we ought to do some defining. So election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. This display of God's sovereign goodness in election is his purpose of grace. It is the goodness or favor that is freely given and shown to those who do not deserve it. Therefore, grace, unmerited favor of God. God, in his choosing, is doing something that is 100% consistent with his nature. If we look in scripture for examples, we will see that God has been choosing or electing to do things by his sovereign good pleasure since before there was a world or before there was time. Beginning in Genesis 1, we'll see that at some point, God chose to speak creation into existence. God did that of his own sovereign will. He did that of his own good pleasure. He had his own purposes in mind. He was not limited in any way with how he created things. We can look at some of the animals and see that God was not created. Uh, God, God did, was not limited in his creative abilities on those animals. We can look at our universe and as far as we can see now with telescopes, we can see that God was not limited in his creative abilities or in his power. At some point, God also chose to create man in his own image, as Genesis 1.26 tells us. God, in creating creation and the animals and the universe, he created mankind, but he created mankind specially, and he created man in his own image. God further chose to work in and through the lives of specific people like Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he chose those individuals to work with them. They did not do anything that was of specific warrant or, or, or specific um, uh, reason for God to look upon them and say, hey, I'm going to work with this person because they're so awesome. God chose to work with the people that he chose to work with because he chose them. God also would later choose to create a people for himself, as we're told in Deuteronomy 7.6. God chose the nation of Israel. He chose a people out of all the people on earth for himself. And in choosing those people, he didn't just stay with those people. He chose, through sending his son Jesus Christ, to bring in the rest of the world through the Gentile people, the people who were not his people. He chose to graft them in as well. So we see God is a God who is choosing. He is electing to do things. And God has been choosing. But before all of these things, he chose us in him. As it says in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, he chose us in him and predestined us to adoption in love through Christ, all according to the purpose of his will. So 
as we see God's gracious purpose in election, in choosing, he has been electing and choosing since the beginning. Understood rightly, there's, there's three things that I want us to see about God's purpose of election or, 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 or God's gracious purpose in doing so. Um, God did elect us. We are predestined. We should not use that for the purposes it was not intended for. Why did God choose to elect? Number one, I believe that in Scripture, Romans 8, 28-30, we're given it as a comfort. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those who he justified, he also glorified. There is comfort in knowing that God chose to save. There's comfort in knowing that. There's comfort in knowing that God chose you. Because we know that it is not based upon our own gifts or our own abilities or anything that we have done that God has chosen us. He chose us before the foundations of the world, before we existed. Secondly, as we look at election, I want us to see it as a reason to praise God. So Ephesians 1, 5 through 6 says that he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And here's the praise. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Our election is not a reason for haughtiness. Our, our election is not a reason for pride or arrogance. It is a reason to praise God. We should praise God that he has saved us. We should praise God that he has, he has chosen us. We should praise God for how he has worked in and through our lives, how he has made himself known to us, how he has used people in our lives, how he has used his word, how he's used his Holy Spirit to bring us to salvation. We should praise God for that. We give thanks to him continuously, continuously for the work that he has done in our life because we know that he has chosen us. We also see election as an encouragement for us to evangelize. Now, we've been talking more and more here, here lately about the need for evangelism, not, not just amongst those who attend church, but in our community, in our workplace, in our world. The need for evangelism is, is so dire. People need to hear the gospel message. As Christians, we should want people to hear the gospel message. We should have a desire for people to hear the gospel message. And just because we currently know Christ, we have, we have been chosen, we, we are an elect, that is not a reason for complacency. That is not a reason for us to sit back and, and say, well, God's going to take care of this now. I'm just going to you know, wait, and, wait and see what he does. No. No, it is not. The reason it is not is because we have been given a commission, a great commission by Christ to make him known to the nations. And as uh, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.10, <clears throat> he says, 
Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And when he says elect, he's not talking about those who have already believed. He's not just talking about the church. He's talking about those of the elect who are still unbelievers, those who do not know Christ. Paul suffered shipwrecks. Paul suffered imprisonment. He suffered beatings. He suffered stonings. All so that the gospel message would be preached and the elect would come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is our mission as well. We share in that. For those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is, this is an echo of that commission that we got from Christ. We endure all things so that the, for the elect so that they may obtain the salvation that is Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In Acts 18, 5 through 11, it says, when, when Silas and Timothy had arrived in Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that, Christ, that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent, for I will now go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And his house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord and together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. There are many among us today in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, in our, our, our places of travel, wherever that might be, as limited as it is right now, that do not know the Lord's, that do not know the Lord right now, but they are the Lord's. They are his people. They need to hear the gospel message. Believing comes through hearing the word. If we are not faithful, others Hopefully, by God's will, we'll take our place. But let us not be complacent. Let us be active. Let us be fervent in our prayer for the lost. Let us be fervent in teaching and sharing with others so that God's elect, God's chosen, might hear the message and repent and believe. So having talked a great deal about the elect and election and how that is a grace of God, we want to now turn our attention to the free agency of man. Man was created in God's image. And as man was created in God's image, we are his image bearers. We have qualities similar to God. Unlike God, however, we do not have unlimited abilities. And talking about God's ability to create animals and his ability to speak things into creation, I personally have never created anything by speaking it, right? I've made people mad by speaking, uh, but I have never created anything physical by speaking. Our ability to choose is limited by our human nature. God gave us the ability to, to, to be creative. He gave us minds that are very creative. We can do things with our hands and create things, but we are limited by our human nature. To give you an example of this, I'll give you two, but let's start with the first one here. Um, in our limitations, if I chose to go cross the Ohio River because I wanted to take my family to Bass Pro, 
I could choose to get in my car. I could choose to drive the appropriate speed limit, pay the toll when I cross the bridge on 65, no toll on 2nd Street, no toll on Sherman Mitten. I can do that in my vehicle. I can choose my path and I can cross over that Ohio River. But I can't take my family and park at the walking bridge, walk to the edge of the water and tell them, let's flap our arms. We're gonna fly to Bass Pro. Why? Because we are limited by our human nature. We can't just choose to do whatever we want to. God can, because he is God. But we are limited by our human nature. The second example I would give you uh, might seem a little silly, but I think this is a good example. If I take my kids to an ice cream shop to get ice cream after church tonight, and that, that store happens to be a Baskin Robbins with 31 flavors, right? If my kids go in there and they request a flavor that is not at Baskin Robbins, that doesn't make the flavor available at Baskin Robbins. It doesn't. We don't have the ability to choose outside of what we're able to choose based on our human nature. So in our creation, God has limited us. He has provided us with a mind. He's limited us, or given us the ability to choose things, but he has also limited us. And in the New Testament, we see man choosing, or actually in the Old Testament, in Genesis, we see man choosing sin. And all through Scripture, we see man choosing sin. At times, we see people being obedient to God and following, following God's will for their lives, but certainly we see people choosing sin. And we often talk about that sin and that choice of sin being human nature, because that is the nature that was given to us when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. So our image is marred. It is marred by sin. We have uh, a desire to sin, a desire to, to do what is contrary to what we ought to do. And we're commanded in Scripture, commanded in the New Testament, to repent and believe. Every call to repent is a call for us to choose to do what God has asked us to do. The command to believe assumes that we can hear that we can understand, and that we can obey that command. Jesus identifies uh, the problem in John 540 uh, with unbelievers when he speaks to them, and he says, you refuse to come to me to have life. How could they come to him unless they were capable of coming to him? Their problem was that they chose not to. In Romans 1, 20, 21, it says that we are without excuse in relation to Christ. We are without excuse with regards to our sin. So the question is, how can a man who is limited by that sin nature ever choose good? And the answer is that it is only through the grace and power of God that our free will truly becomes free in the sense that we're able to actually choose salvation that God has, has provided for us. The Holy Spirit works in us. It works through our, our life to regenerate us to give us a new nature, and we're able to choose to follow God. Ephesians 4.24 says, we're created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, but we have chose sinfulness. God's work of salvation brings us to the point where we are able to choose God. And in our free will of choosing, we're unable to do so. By God. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go to bear fruit and your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 
And Romans 14, 7 through 12 says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So that whenever we live, or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For this is the end. Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. So why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, that every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess God. And so then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. We have the ability to choose. It's been defined, contained by God, and he enables us through the power of his Holy Spirit, through the preaching of his word, to choose him. And finally, as we, as we move to that, that last statement of eternal security, when people come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're brought into a relationship with God that guarantees them an eternity with him. Jude uh, 24 declares, To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. God is able to keep the believer from falling. Our eternal salvation is not based upon our good works. It is not based upon how perfectly we live the Ten Commandments. It is not based upon how perfectly uh, we, we live the laws uh, that, that the Jews followed. It is not based upon how perfectly we follow the commandments of Jesus Christ. And thank goodness for that, right? Thank goodness for that. We believe that our eternal security is a result of God keeping us and not of our own maintaining of our salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ himself proclaimed that he gave us eternal life, that we should not perish, and that no one could snatch him or snatch us out of his hand. We were given to him by the Father, God. He is greater than all, and no one can take them from his hand. We want to recognize that there will be times and maybe times in a Christian's life where a Christian falls into sin, they fall into temptation, they fall into a time when they're distant from the Lord and not following as they should be. But we do not believe that falling into sin would remove the forgiveness and salvation that the person has secured through faith in Jesus Christ. We want to be careful with that. And I, I think if we read in Scripture and we look at the parable of the soils and, and in other places in Scripture, we have to be careful with people who make a profession of faith or profess to follow Christ, but then never follow Christ. The parable of the soils specifically mentions rocky soil and soil that's filled with weeds and they give evidences of faith but it's choked out and in those I, I think the, the teaching that Christ is, is giving is that there will be those who profess faith in him but they do not have a genuine faith they're not really trusting in, in the Lord and because they're not really trusting in the Lord they move on because of hardship or they move on because of influences in their life and they replace God with another lowercase g God. They worship something else, whether that be themselves or money or, or something else. But God is not the God of their life. But for the believer, we are sealed for the day of redemption. 
if believers did not have eternal security, if we did not have the hope of, of Christ in our lives, we would have lives that would be lived in fear. And frankly, we would be worried constantly as to where we stood with the Lord. And that is not what God wanted for us. And that is not the way that he has described salvation in Scripture. It's not something that we are maintaining in the first place. It is secure with him. It is eternal. And he guarantees it. Romans 8, 38 through 19 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we are in Christ Jesus our Lord, we will love him, we will follow him. Even in times of struggle, even in times of sin, we will love and follow him. And our salvation is secure in him. To close... I'm going to take us back to our original scripture. So if you put your finger in, in, in scripture there in Ephesians, we're going to read 3 through 14. And as we read, I, I want to show you how this, this passage of scripture is, if you're looking for a single passage of scripture that, that, that backs up this statement in, in section 5 of, of God's purpose of grace, it's here. All three elements are here. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. If you notice in that, that first section there, we see that it's talking about us being predestined to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus for himself. We'll continue on in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known, to the, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, that he purposed in Christ, as a plan for the right time, to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. There's the putting the hope in Christ as we talked about those three statements. Election, God's plan for redemption, God's election in choosing men and free will, us putting our hope in Christ. Now let's finish with the last one. Moving on in verse 13. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
And when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit as a down payment on our inheritance until the redemption and the day that we go to be with him in glory. So we've seen in looking at section 5, election is the gracious purpose of God. It is consistent with the free agency of man and that all true believers will endure to the end. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. We thank you, Lord, for, for how you've saved us, how you keep us secure in our, in our salvation, Lord, how you've provided everything that we need. Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust you, Lord, where, where we may have doubt. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to to seek you for wisdom. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to have a passion for, for sharing your gospel with others. Lord, because we know that there are many of your people still here today who have not heard the gospel message. Lord, and we pray that as we, as we preach and as we teach and as we share our faith with others, Lord, that we would do so expectantly that you would provide an increase, Lord, that you would soften the hearts of those who are hearing your word, and that you would draw people to yourself, and that you would save many. We ask and pray all this in Christ's name.